Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our text today comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 12 through 25. If you would join with me there in your Bible or on your Bible app or in the Pew Bible in front of you, again, it's Romans 8, verses 12 through 25. Let us now hear the words of the Lord. So then, brothers and sisters, we are obligated not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit... You put to death the needs of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption. So that when we cry, Abba, Father, it is this very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. In fact, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to the futility not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its enslavement to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together as it suffers together the pains of labor. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have also the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly while we wait for adoption the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we are saved. Now that is a hope that now the, let me try it again. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what one has already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait patiently for it. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious Lord, we give thanks for this day, for the opportunities to gather and to worship, to be reminded that we are a part of a much larger family than what we see within the walls of our homes. So while we are gathered here together to worship and to praise you, open our ears, calm our hearts, Let us be receptive to your word, so that in hearing your word, we would leave here not just as hearers of your words, but as doers of your words. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. Well, you can look around the sanctuary and you can see that our numbers are down a little bit. Or you could go to Facebook, and if you're like me, you've got friends that like to post all kinds of things about where they are. And you just have to spend about five minutes on on any given day this week or last, and you realize that we are in the thick of the vacation season. Thick of summer vacation, people traveling back and forth in different places. And if you're like me, you remember those days traveling in the car, and you know what the parents' worst 
least favorite question is, right? When are we going to get there? How much longer? Oh my gosh, are we ever going to get there? Somewhere along those lines. That's, but I can remember uttering those words myself just a few years ago. Well, in some cases, maybe just last week. But anyway, um, I can remember driving down. My grandparents had a place down at Surfside Beach, South Carolina. And for summers, we would go and spend a week with them. And I can remember being in the car and taking what seemed like suffering. I mean, suffering in the way back of the station wagon on what seemed like 9,000-hour trip. Okay, it was four and a half, but, you know, when you're a kid stuck in the back of the car, it's forever. And I can remember uttering that phrase or my brother uttering it, and my parents were pure geniuses. Because they would immediately, as soon as they would hear how much longer, they would take stock of where we were in the journey, and they had answers for every opportunity. So if we were just past Conway, South Carolina, not quite, you know, we're still probably 45 minutes away, they would say, oh, look, the stockisty swinging bridge is nearby. We're almost there. There's a little bit of truth to that. We were almost there at that point. But if we were on, say, the west side of, Con of, of Conway, like, say, maybe an hour west of Conway, they might say, mom would roll the window down and stick her nose and go, I smell the salty air. We've got to be close. We're two hours away. But that didn't matter. That was all we needed to hear were close. And if we were still even yet further east of that, or further, further west of that, oh, look out the window, you see the soil, it's now sandy, we must be close to the beach. Now, what nine-year-old understands geology? I mean, here we have clay soil, and somewhere, like the whole eastern half of the state, it's What? It's sand. It's why they call it the sand hills. We didn't know that as kids. We thought, oh, the sand, we must be close to the beach. I mean, it was perfect. Y'all were brilliant, by the way, in that regard. But whatever it was, no matter what the groaning was, what we were really asking was how much longer. We just needed a sign of hope that we were close to the beach. Some sort of hope that we were almost there, that the suffering in the back of the car was soon to end. Folks, we utter that phrase still this day, not just with traveling, but just in life around us. How much longer? Enough. Why was this happen to happen this way? Why are we always doing these things? Is the world not going to get better? We utter this, and we are what uttering is, we're asking for hope. Signs of hope. And there's good news for this, and this, folks, we are not the first people to be asking for that. We're not the first people experiencing this how much longerness, this longing for better times, better opportunities. No, but what we do know, this, is that if we lean into our faith, the answer for hope is already there. Because hope has already come if we're just willing to pay attention. So Paul, in writing this letter to the church in Rome, he knew something about a people longing People seeking hope. Remember, he's writing to Rome, which is the, the center of the world at that time. And he's writing to the church in Rome. It's a new church. They're just getting started, and they've heard about the kingdom. And they're trying to figure out what is the hope for them. How is the kingdom going to get better? They already heard what we read last week earlier, where we could choose to live fleshly living, where we're focused on ourselves and self-centered and inwardly focused. Or we could choose to do spirit living, where we're outwardly focused and Christ-centered. 
But he still knows in writing the rest of this chapter that this is a church that is struggling with what they see going on around them. They're essentially crying out, how much longer before the kingdom of God is realized? They want to see that glory. They look around at all the decay that they see. They see the destruction that happens when folks live focused on themselves and not on others. When they're focused on their own issues, their own intent, and not what God wants for them. And so what they want to know is, is there hope for their future? They hear about this idea of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and they keep hoping to see evidence of it, but it's not there. So Paul writes this part of the chapter to point out that really it is there. They just have to open their eyes a little bit wider. So he helps them see, helps them understand sort of the fallen nature of creation. To see how the redemption of Christ upends this fallen nature and brings about hope. And that there's hope for us and hope for renewal if we anchor our lives within the redemption of Christ and in his teachings. So he starts off with this in verse 20, this idea of the fall of the nature of creation. He writes, creation was subject to futility. What Paul is really doing is he's taking them and us all the way back to Adam and Eve. Now we know what happens. There was one commandment, Adam and Eve broke it, and with that becomes what we know of as the fall of humanity, where all of creation begins to suffer. We know we'll read back in Genesis where it says, man will toil in the fields day and night, working with his hands, sweating from his brow, that women, that women will experience pain in childbirth, that the fields will put forth thorns and be dry. In other words, there's consequences for our self-centeredness. There's consequences when we don't think about the group as a whole or about what God wants for us. And we see elements and evidence of, this of these uh, consequences today. We see that in terms of creation. I mean, we just look around creation now. We see that creation is under fire. We see oceans rising. We hear a lot in the news about temperatures. I mean, think about the Southwest for the last couple of weeks, they've been experiencing unseasonably warm temperatures. I don't care. You can try to convince me that, well, it's a dry heat. But folks, 115 degrees is just hot. There's no two, there's no two ways about it. It can be a dry heat all you want, but you can still cook an egg on the sidewalk. That's hot. Or we can see this consequences of what happens in terms of broken relationships. We see the number of children in the foster care system because the relationships in their homes are broken. Or the rise in gun violence in our community where we are just now, this week, just two murders away from all the murders that were recorded last year. That's not a good statistic. Or people who feel unsafe living in their neighborhoods the brokenness that we see. And so we're tempted to cry out, how much longer? I'm thirsty. Make it stop. Please make it go away. Surely it can be better. But how often do you and I look in the mirror and ask ourselves, what are the consequences for our choices? How are we a part of the problem and not the solution? But while Paul points this out, he quickly moves to the redemptive nature of Christ. He points this out in verse 14. He says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. And when we cry, Abba, Father, that is a spirit bearing witness that indeed we are children of God, that we are in this family of God. 
He's talking about the redemptive power of Christ. And so in this passage, what he's telling them and what he's telling us is to recall how the ministry of Christ upends the world as we know it. Now we can look throughout the New Testament, throughout the, the Gospels, and we can see evidence of Christ upending, but probably the best image is that of Jesus in the temple right before the Passover, right before he broke the bread and poured out the cup. Remember, he goes into the temple, he goes to worship, and he sees the money changers. It becomes a place of commerce. It's just no different than Trade Street or Wall Street or anything else like that. And he sees this, and he gets angry. What does he do? He flips the tables over with a loud bang, and he says, enough! Enough with turning this place of worship that is supposed to be focused on God to focusing on yourselves in a place of commerce. Enough! But he doesn't just turn the tables over in the temple. His ministry should up in the way you and I live, the way the world tries to tell us to live, the way our human nature tries to make it all about us. Because see, Jesus shows us a new way of living. He shows us how to listen to God. How to seek value in life around us. He teaches us how to forgive one another, how to seek out the marginalized, how to heal the broken places in our world. And so we begin to realize as we see how he turns us upside down, the biggest gift is we realize that salvation comes from the most least expected place. I mean, Jesus, the one who was sinless, the one fully human, fully divine, the one who was faultless, goes to the cross to take our punishment. The punishment that was due to us for our sinful nature, our disobedience, for our rebellion, yet he goes to the cross for us. Let that wash over us for a moment. See, when we start to really think about that, we ask ourselves, oh Lord, how long? What we begin to realize is, It has already happened that the redemption has already come, that there is hope already present because he gave himself for us, giving hope to the world, show us that change can happen, that we don't have to live the way human nature and society wants us to live, that we can live a better, more meaningful existence. This idea of redemption has come, and thanks be to God. So when we cry out those words, how much longer, oh Lord, how long does this, must this go on? What we're really looking for, like a kid in the back of the car, we are looking for a sign of hope that the journey is over, that the kingdom is nearby. What Paul is telling the church and us is to look around that there are signs already available for us. That we're close and getting closer every day if we just open our eyes. We can see evidence of this. We can think about this in terms of renewal, like in the environment. Think what happens after a massive forest fire. You give it a season, and after the earth was burned over and blackened, what happens? But new growth emerges. The forest is rejuvenated. Or think what we saw in 2020 when we were locked in our homes, and all of a sudden we weren't using our cars, and the industry was shut down. All of a sudden the air cleared. Cities that had had the worst air condition had crystal clear skies. Evidence of what happens is that when we change our behavior, good things can happen. 
renewal can take place. But it's not just in terms of the environment. It also happens in our relationships, our relationship with God, for example. How often have we found ourselves like the prodigal in the far country or like the lost sheep wandering around aimlessly and we realize that God seeks us out and we find ourselves on that mountaintop. When we're there, we realize the goodness in a relationship and what happens? We don't want to leave. We don't want to walk back down into the valley, back into our daily lives. But in that moment, what we know is we know hope, we know the relationship and the joy that's there. And it should be a challenge to us to figure out how to carry that with us from the mountaintop into everyday life. So that what we experience in this place, we carry with us tomorrow all the way through till we come back on Sunday. We think about this in our relationships with each other. We really take stock of our lives and realize how the wake that we've cut in the lives of others or we have transgressed. What would it look like if we confess our shortcomings, our failures, the pain that we've caused and we repent of that and we seek forgiveness? Or when others come to us seeking forgiveness or even before they do, what would it look like if we offer that forgiveness and grace? See, it begins to change how we look at each other in the eyes, how we look at the world around us. And it gives us hope for a new future. And what we get, my friends, is in each of these instances, we get a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven. And we know what hope looks like. And we realize that we are well on our way. So in our lives, it's easy to focus on the negative, easy to focus on the suffering, to throw our hands up and say, how much longer, Lord, or why, or won't we ever learn? We can ask those questions, but better yet, what we should do, rather than just throwing caution in the wind and asking those questions, instead, maybe we should just sit still. We should stop. Stop our fretting, stop our anxiety, and instead begin to look around us, look around the world, and to listen to what God is saying to us. And when we do that, when we stop, when we look, when we listen, friends, I promise you, we will see signs of redemption, signs of renewal, signs of hope. But better yet, my friends, and, and while we do that, recognize that the world is looking for that as well. The world is crying out, how much longer, O oh Lord? And folks, we have been to the mountaintop. We have seen what that can look like, so let us go forth. Because we are the Easter people. We know the story about him dying on the cross and being raised for our transgressions. So we know the hope. We are the children in the family of God. So let us go forth into the world. Redeemed by Christ. And casting those seeds of hope and pointing out the change that we see. And better yet, what if we became the change we want to see by the way we lived? What if we upended our lives and had an outward focus trying to show the world the goodness of God by the words that we say, the things that we do, the way we spend our time and our energy? See, when we do that, we're giving hope to a world that asks the question, how long, O oh Lord, will we ever see the kingdom? And we can show them by the way we live that, yes, you can, 
And it begins to look a little bit like this. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.